There are some memorable mission statements that exist around the world. They fill our history books and perhaps our coffee tables with all sorts of sayings and quotes and things that have moved us, things that have moved humanity to do things that are extraordinary. Of course, one of the most famous ones is when John F. Kennedy, JFK, in 1961, said that over the next decade, they wanted to put a person in another place, on the moon. Never had we gone there, we'd sort of touched the, the, the edge of space, but to actually put a person, a walking, breathing, with all the things that needed to happen, person on the moon. That's a great thing to say, isn't it? You would say, literally, is of high platitudes. Wow. But how would you get that done? Now, it's beyond me, but it meant they needed a whole bunch of people to work that out. It's all very well for the President of the United States to make a nice speech, or a pastor in a church to say some things that inspire us, but actually, how are we going to see things happen? What would it take? What would it take to put a person on the moon? Well, you can read the history books or grab the book from the coffee table and see. They needed things to breathe. They needed things to move. They needed a whole bunch of people to work together towards meeting that mission statement's aim. Famously, JFK was visiting NASA at the time. Now, we don't know if this is an urban legend or if it really happened, but apparently, so people say... The president was visiting NASA and he was walking up a hallway and was looking for the bathroom and got lost. And as he gets lost, he runs into a janitor. And he says to the janitor, excuse me, uh, what are you doing here? What's your role here? And the janitor who had a broom in his hand said, well, Mr. President, I'm here to help get a man on the moon. Do you see that even the janitor saw that him cleaning the bathrooms and mopping the floors meant he was part of the whole team. The whole team that was entirely focused on everyone together getting a man on the moon. How much more a church? Look, if NASA can do that, and NASA, I mean, I hear they're supposed to be a top-rated agency, they do great things. But the church of Jesus Christ... Well, the church of Jesus Christ, we're not going to put a man on the moon because that's too low for us. That's, that's not high enough. Now, what do we want to see? We want to see what our Lord, our chief shepherd wants to see. We want to see people, not just on the moon, but in heaven. We want to see people, men and women, boys and girls, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved and safe with him forever in eternity, in the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth, the new moon. What would it take to get there? It takes a team, a whole team of people who are on board with that mission. Now, I've been around the block a few times, up and down the paddock a couple of times, and I get that when we start talking about mission in a church, we start talking about ministry in a church, people start freaking out and thinking, is he going to look at me? Am I supposed to be the evangelist? You know, this is, this is what this sermon's all about. And we start going, oh, just don't make eye contact with the pastor. No one make eye contact with Russ. How are you going? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just really busy. Uh, is this, this is not a sermon about, now, every single one of us is going to be necessarily the evangelist for our neighbours, our family and friends. There's more to say on this, and Church Camp 2022 is coming. 
It's going to be great. This year's theme is on belonging, which will be apt since we haven't had church camp for a little while and we're going to be thinking about what it means to belong together, belong to Jesus and for others to belong to Jesus too and how we serve in that way. So there's lots to say and, and Ryan who oversees our teams and training here will be thinking more deeply about that, for us to be thinking about that but and not just Ryan but all of us of course but for today we're in a mini-series looking at our plans and prayers for 2023. And if you had a service sheet with you, which we don't because of, as you heard, the internet is broken down somewhere up the line and we weren't able to print them and all that sort of thing. But if you had one, it would, you would see that this mini-series is all about reforming our time last week, our talents this week, and next week our treasure. But all those things, that threefold summary, are threefold summary of what God gives us. What God gives us. What he gives the church, the team, Team Jesus, for Jesus' mission and ministry in the world. It's a team effort. And as we come to 1 Corinthians 12, I guess you could probably see, oh, I know where this is going. You know, I, I guess now, I'm relieved that this is not a sermon of me being the evangelist, but I can see where this is going. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the body. Yes. But it's not just this chapter that appears out of nowhere, does it? We normally, our normal bread and butter at Reforming Church is to preach through books of the Bible. We just finished Philippians. In fact, we were looking the other day, we've, we've actually preached through nearly most of the New Testament and lots of the Old Testament. We're going to keep going. Uh, soon we'll be in Genesis, God willing, seeing what's best for you. But this chapter has a context. These two chapters have a context. And the context is, and we have preached 1 Corinthians before, here's the context. This is a letter written to a church just like us, except this church is completely dysfunctional. It's very gifted. The Corinthian church is very gifted. They've got all the spectacular gifts. But the letter's not written to say, you guys are amazing. You guys are fantastic. You're so well gifted. I don't need to say anything. He writes this letter. The Apostle Paul writes this letter because as a gifted and amazing mega church that they are, are historically well known to be dysfunctional. If you don't believe me, you can read chapter one later. But there's one of their members, Chloe, right? Chloe appears in the Bible. As Chloe says to Paul, has to say to Paul, there are problems at Corinth in this church. There are divisions, there's pride. People have got their gifts, but what they're doing with their gifts is, hey, I've got this gift. You've only got that gift. I'm interested in the spectacular gifts. Your gifts aren't that spectacular. I kind of don't need you, kind of thing. That's going on, which prompts Paul to write this letter. And as he writes this letter, he grounds it in looking to Jesus, the church's Jesus' body, and finishes with the centerpiece of this whole letter, which is not a passage just for weddings, but on love in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul's point is this. In a day and age where we are, I am so apt to be divisive and selfish and full of pride, Paul says, look to Jesus Christ and see his mission and ministry is undertaken by his gifts, which is one another. Come and see a more excellent way, Paul writes. He says that, the excellent way of love. Come and see a more excellent way. And just three things today. If you had a service sheet, it would be on page five, as is our custom. But three things, easy to remember, I hope. 
This is a, a section that speaks about our unity with our diversity for maturity. It's all about our unity with our diversity for something, for maturity. And as we open up, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to pick up verse 4. I do hope you've got a Bible in front of you. It will help a lot. Verse 4, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. A variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good, Paul writes. There are varieties of gifts But it's all, first point, for our unity, for the common good. We see it also in verse 12. Pick it up in verse 12. For just as there's one body, and one body has many members, the members of the one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized in one body, Jews, Greeks, slave, free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. And when Paul uses this language, Jews, Greek, slave, free, men and women. He's not saying those things don't exist anymore. There are still people with Jewish heritage. There are still people with Greek heritage. There are still men and there are still women. There are still people slave and there are still people free. In that context, not erasing differences between us. This is not Star Trek the Borg here. I'm not a Trekkie, but I understand the Borg are kind of a uh, space race people who take over the universe, their plan is to take over by you becoming exactly like them. You have to integrate and assimilate and become exactly them. That's not what Paul was saying. He's saying, no, no, we're, we're different. We are different. We are men. We are women. We are different. And yet our unity is not in, I have to be exactly the same as you. My unity is in, I'm in Christ. I'm baptized in one spirit. One body. Many parts. Baptized in one spirit. Now, just a small caveat here. That language of baptism in the spirit is very confused today. Like it's picked up and and used in ways that are just not the way the Bible uses it. So you may have heard a talk about a second baptism in the spirit. Well, here's the biblical answer to this. The language of baptism of the Spirit that we see appearing in 1 Corinthians 12 appears in the Bible seven times. Let me just run through it, how it works. Seven times. Seven times we read, en nimatai. Seven times. Of those seven times, four times in the Gospels, John the Baptist says them. John the Baptist says, Jesus will baptize you in the Spirit. I baptize you with water. It's just H2O. Jesus baptizes you in the Spirit, Spirit of God. The fifth times in Acts 1 verse 5 where Jesus talks about John's prediction. The sixth time is in Acts 11 16. Peter recalls Jesus' words. And the seventh and final time is right here. Did you notice the trend? What does the phrase baptism of the Spirit talking about? It's talking about being born again. It's talking about not a second baptism, not an extra special elite Christian baptism that you've got to get somehow over here by some experience. It's talking about the one baptism that causes us to be born again into living hope through the faith in the risen Jesus. Notice this. 
to, to, to kind of divide that, we end up actually making two levels of Christianity, if not three and four. But Paul's point is, to a divisive church, there are no different levels of Christianity. There's not this sort of Christian and this sort of Christian. Like there's no such thing, the Bible knows no such language of a spirit-filled Christian and a non-spirit-filled Christian. That doesn't exist in the Bible. Prove me wrong. It doesn't exist. If you're a Christian, the only way you can become a Christian is to be born again by the Spirit. Now, we find this confusing, and our world and a whole world of preachers confuses this issue. If teachers can confuse this issue, is it possible we could? Yeah, now, who's a teacher in the Bible that is confused by this? Like, who is a preacher who's a teacher, who's actually the head teacher of Israel at the time of Jesus who gets confused on this? Anyone know? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, John 3, Nicodemus talking to Jesus, and Nicodemus is like, no, 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 don't get it, don't get it. And Jesus says, if you, the teacher of Israel, can't understand this, what is going on here? You see, to a divisive church, Paul has to say, you know what we do? What we do in our sin is we are prone to make dividing points, dividing lines. We are prone to saying, oh, you're not really that spirit-filled Christian. You don't have this spiritual gift. You don't ex- 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 exercise this spiritual gift. Therefore, you're a different, you're not the kind of son- Christian that I'm kind of, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. Back up the biblical track here. The way the Bible speaks about this is for our unity, friends. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, you are baptised in the Spirit, you have been born again into a living hope, that is a work that is done to you. The Spirit blows where He wills, John 3. And look at verse 13. Make sense of this. For in one Spirit we're all baptised into one body. Notice this. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. I can't make anyone do anything. Like, honestly, we're told to make disciples. But the way, how do we, do, how do we make disciples? I remember from Matthew 28? Teaching. We speak the gospel to people. But I can't make someone become a Christian. I can't make someone follow Jesus and I can't make them do anything. I can't make you, you can't make me. I have trouble making a three-year-old just obey at times. I have trouble making my own self keep walking with Christ and being obedient sometimes. Do you see? This is done to us. Why? Because Jesus firstly wants us to be unified in one spirit. Not bringing our own human devised, dividing lines in. Yeah, we find the teaching hard, but it's good. It goes against our hearts and the way we'd like to kind of reinterpret things in the Bible, but the Bible's good. Unity is critical for Jesus' church. Often people say, yeah, here's why we have disunity, because we have different denominations. Yeah, bad. If we're all just together. You know, well, it's actually not, when the Bible speaks about unity, it's not the primary audience it's speaking to. Because we hang out with different denominations and aside from that, my, my problems, if I'm going to have sin in my life and grumbling 
or slander and gossip or disagreement, is it going to be between me and the Baptists who live in Sydney? What about the Baptists down the road? Probably not. I have coffee with the pastor, we're friends. The, the reason these texts are written is not because we have disunity on a world scale, because I don't think you have disagreement or conflict with the, the Christians in China. Is that your historic problem? Like every week, I'm just so sick of, fi- sick of fighting with my brother in China. We don't know them. Who are the people we most often need to remember we need to be unified with? This one's could be easy to guess. Look around, they're here. When the Bible speaks to church unity, it's not speaking to unity necessarily with those over in Galatia or those. Uh, uh, there is a sense of that, but the big picture. Every single text, and it happens a lot in the scriptures, Paul's letters are filled with it. Be unified, love one another, care for one another. How are you going to express the one another's? It's with one another. It's the people here. It's funny, the, people, the very people who say, we need to get all denominations together, then we'll have unity, miss two big things. One, we don't create unity. Jesus does. That's why we read Ephesians 4. We maintain unity. And how do we do that? It's not by working to see if we have one massive parachurch organization that unites all of them, one ring to unite them all. That's not going to bring unity. The way we get unity is for you to love your brother or sister in the church that you exist in, the local church that God gives us, the body of Christ. And friends, isn't that where we really have the trouble? That's where the rubber really hits the road. We can speak in platitudes about unity over there, but if we're not loving one another here, well, it won't make a lick of difference. It really won't. Because unity is seen in the local church. Your friends are watching. Your family is watching. And that unity is beautiful when it's happening. Our unity, of course, in any local church here, anywhere, was tested the last couple of years. It was tested. How are we going to love the least of these? How are we going to love the ones perhaps smaller in number than the majority, but how are we going to actually go low and care for one another? That's only by God's grace. We got through the last two years relationally, unified. And it's a beautiful thing we did. It's a beautiful thing is unity. And that unity with, secondly, diversity is all the more beautiful. Because people look and go, goodness, you people are very different at that church. Like, we should be. There should be a sense of there's differences here. We look different. We sound different. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, does it? But many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the hand, I don't belong to the body. That would make it not any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. You know, this speaks, I think, to church unity in a profound way that we need to think about. This is why I'm not particularly a fan of one kind of race-only church. Like, there's a need, there's an importance. So for, you know, if you're only, you can only speak, if you can only speak Lunda. That's all you got. That's the country I was born in, Zambia. They speak Lunda. If you could only speak Lunda 
and you come to Australia, let's have a London church. But if you can learn the common language, it's so good for churches to have a mix of people from different nationalities because we make disciples of the nations. That's why I'm also not a huge fan of age-specific churches. I, I did some growing up in one as a Christian. This is a church just for uni students. Well, the problem with a church for just for uni students is very exclusive, isn't it? And if you just got a church of uni students, who are the seniors in your church bringing wisdom to how you walk for Jesus? A church just for TAFE students, a church just for mechanics, a church just for farmers. The problem is, imagine this being read. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member but many. If the farmer should say, because I'm not a uni student, I do not belong to this body. If the tiler should say, I'm not a plumber, I do not belong to the church of plumbers. If the person from Southeast Asia should say, I'm not Anglo, I do not belong to the Anglo church. You see? Diversity is more than celebrated, it's encouraged. We are to make disciples of the nations, friends. Jesus in Matthew 28 doesn't say, go and make disciples of all your friends. Go and make disciples of all the people that look like you and sound like you. Go and make disciples and just have, a, just have a, an Anglo church and a Chinese church and just a Greek church. There is a place, friends, but over time, churches ought to grow in diversity. Now, without the time to speak on this, I've got friends who have planted a Greek church and uh, his name is Ray Galea. He speaks really well on this topic. And he speaks about the problems of the homogeneous unit principle. Now, if you go, what did Russ just say? I need an interpretation in tongues here. Right? There's a whole bunch of reading you can do on this. A whole bunch of theology to read and get into. It's really helpful. But take it from a person, take it from Ray who planted a church just for Greeks. He said it actually was unbiblical, unhelpful. And in the end, that church has become, it's now named, Multicultural Bible Church. Where they consistently have to work hard at welcoming people from different nations because that is the church local and that's the picture of the church future. What is the church in Revelation? It's a church of nations. It's a church of diversity. And it also means now, friends, our church is a diverse church. Diversity is a beautiful thing. We're also diverse with gifts. A church is not all the same. We have different gifts. You look at the gifts list here. Uh, the gifts lists appear in the New Testament, at least in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, they appear in Romans 12. They also appear in Ephesians 4. Um, there's a couple of allusions to gift lists. You can kind of see some things in Colossians and other places as well. But, but here we have a list of gifts for the church. And notice what the gifts are for. Aside from saying, well, just because I don't have this gift, I don't belong here. The gifts, what are they for? Do you see? What is significant about the gifts? They're at least to display a diversity of people. Secondly, the gifts have a unity with diversity. See, the gifts here are for the body. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. Because we look at each other, and whatever gift you have, you might think, I am just a, the equivalent of Reforming Church janitor. And we have that, it's called our, our clean team. Most of our members are on the clean team. Um, including myself, I enjoy it on a twice a two-month basis. I don't describe that frequency, but roughly that's how it works. And the clean team is a wonderful way to feel, experience humility, because no one sees you doing it, aside from other people on your team. You turn up and feel like, oh, I thought I cleaned this place. Well, we've got builders, so it's not the fault of the clean team, so you know, they do a wonderful job. They cleaned on Monday. We're so thankful for those who serve on our cleaning team. We actually need those gifts. You could group that as a gift of administration. We look at the gift list and we see administration there, don't we? We see it there in verse 28 and we kind of glide over it because we go, oh, show me other gifts. Oh, look at the miracles one. I want that one. And people publish books for me to find my gifts. I want to find my gifts. Give me the book. It tells me what gift is. Where do you got one? It's got a Bible. And how do you find a gift? You don't need the special book. Just go to the Bible. Here's, here's my great tip for how to work out your spiritual gifts. Right? You might have one. You might have many. Again, the Bible doesn't specify But here's a great tip. Love people. Just start serving them. The way to discover your spiritual gifts is not to go for the matrix or the paradigm or the enneagram. I don't care if you're an EF8217. It doesn't matter. The way to discover your spiritual gifts biblically is this. To look at someone else and say, how can I love you? How can I serve you? It's not hard. The hardest thing is, often, our own sin makes us want to resist doing that. And the diversity of using our gifts is beautiful. Of course, not all the same. Look at verse 29. What's the implied answer of verse 29? Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing... What is the implied answer? No. It's no. <laughs> it's no. I don't know if we can make this any clearer. There are whole churches that you, you, you all need this one gift. You all got to have this thing. The implied answer is no. It's a beautiful diversity. Why are we trying to muck it up? And why? Why do we have it? Unity. With all our diversity, what's the purpose? For maturity. Because what's the Corinthian problem and what's my problem? I'm going to always drift towards immaturity. I'm not talking about pull your finger immaturity. I'm talking about the kind of maturity that says, actually, it's all about me. It's the kind of immaturity that says, you know what? I'm looking for a church that... well." I, uh, what I really need is a church where people my age. I need a church of 45-year-olds. Um, they need to be 45. Look, because I'm looking for a, you know, a lot of mates, how about a church of 45-year-old men who wear green jumpers? It, of course it's ridiculous, isn't it? But aside from the hyperbole, don't we do that a little bit sometimes? 
I'm looking for something that's all about me. Now, if you look for something that's all about you, you'll never get to use your gifts. Because gifts are about all about the other. How can I love you? How can I serve you? And that's how we actually grow in maturity. A lot of people want to grow these days. It's actually quite fashionable. I read a lot of stuff on Fridays for fun. I read articles. You know, I don't subscribe to things. So I don't subscribe to things like the New York Times. So some, you know, if I get an article, you don't have to go through the paywall. I'm like, bonus Friday! You know? But I read widely on just... just and what i noticed lately is a lot of organisations, cultures, groups, TEDx talks, TED talks, no matter what it is, everyone wants to grow. Because no one wants to say, you know what, I've got to talk on how to shrivel. Here's my talk on how to shrivel. It's a nine-minute TED talk, how to shrivel. I'm probably not going to get many uh, delegates coming along. We all want to grow, don't we? We want to grow and mature and be a better person. Well, the way to mature and be a, a growing person is in our unity and diversity, use our gifts with love. It's love. It's not rocket science. It's not NASA. It's not even the New York Times. It's love. It's simple and profound is love. Paul writes in chapter 12 and verse 31, he says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What is the excellent way? This central chapter of this letter, it's love. See, when it comes to the Corinthians in their divisiveness and unloving nature, Paul writes this, uh, love is patient. If you're going to be a church of the nations, Ray Galeer says uh, they're constantly having to work at this at MBM. Here's the big challenge for a church that's multicultural, and we want to be that kind of church, even though we're small, much smaller. But as a small church, we want to welcome all. Here's the challenge of this. You're constantly having to listen to people and help them to love one another. Because a mix of nations don't understand each other. They need, they need to come together and listen to each other and love one another. And that means love is patient, friends. You need patience with people. We live in a generation that says, I want my needs met now. I demand you give me the right answer now. We want it now. And love is patient. And, and by the way, love is kind. It's actually a major qualification of pastors, of elders, is to be kind. We, we actually say this in our elders' meetings. We, we read these passages and we pray that we would be the kind of people that are kind to others, even in the face of unkindness, that we would show kindness like Jesus does. Love does not envy. I'm so tempted to. Love does not boast. I, I know I've boasted in my life. We can be pretty good at the humble brag these days. Love does not insist on its own way. Do I? Yeah, I think I do sometimes. Someone once said, love is not sentimental. It's not the Hallmark card. Love is not sentimental. It's behavioural. Love is not just flowery words for sunny days. But it's for situations where we get down low to serve others with love. Love 
is leading like Jesus. It's more excellent because Jesus is more excellent. Do you see this excellent way? We're not going to go to the moon, but we would love to be able to walk across the room. Walk across the room at morning tea and welcome the newcomer. It's great hanging out with friends, isn't it? And church is a great place to catch up with friends. But how about we walk across the room and welcome the newcomer? Walk across the room and talk to the teenagers. Walk across the room and and bend down low and talk with the children. And ask them, what did you hear about Jesus today? Love goes low. It goes across the room. And some of us, that's harder than going to the moon. But this is possible because of the power of the gospel. So the gospel is that powerful, isn't it? Here's how powerful the gospel is. Not only does it save people, it actually drags people from death to life. When we were like flatlining dead, in the grave, totally can't raise a thing, the gospel drags us out of the grave and saves us. And then the gospel then gathers us. Hey, you're different to me, but we're like brother and sister in Christ now. And then the gospel says and gathers, and then it gives us gifts. Jesus gives us gifts for serving others. And then if you have trouble walking across the room, the gospel's power goes, wow, Jesus went to the cross for me. I could... I I can do this. I can walk across the room to love someone, to welcome them, to have them in my home for hospitality. Yeah, the place is a mess because we've got a three-year-old, six-year-old and an eight-year-old. I can't keep the place clean, let alone my own study clean. But they could come into my house and I'd be unembarrassed to say, you can have meal with me. Let's have table together. And the gospel power means, it means I could even say to the person who's not coping at work, to the person who's not coping in our family because our nana died and we haven't got the answers we thought we'd have for life and death. The gospel's got the power to say, "Um, here's how I cope. Jesus. In sadness, Jesus is how I cope. Because I know he's got this. I know he's got me and he's got me safe. He can keep you safe too. Would you trust him? And if you want to look into him, it's as simple as, would you like to read Mark's gospel together? Do you see? The excellent way of Jesus for building the body of Christ is the way Jesus accomplishes his mission in the world of making disciples. He's the power. Do you see this about 1 Corinthians 13? I love doing this. I love this part. It's kind of like the, you know, I'm not a card player. I'm hopeless at, you know, card, sh- what do they call it? Shuffling. Yeah, shuffling cards. Can't do it. Like, you watch me shuffle cards at church camp. I'm just like, yeah, cool. Uh, just like, hey, Amy, can you do it? Um, I can't do it, right? I'm not good at card tricks. I can't do card tricks. Maybe one of you can for the Rio Reforming. What's it, what's it called? Reforming's got no talent. But... I love this, and this is not a card trick, this is not a bait and switch, but this is a wonderful thing about reading the Bible and seeing Jesus in every passage. And here it is. We've done this before in other places. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Have a look at verse 4. And I'm going to do something. It's not a card trick. 
Nothing up the sleeve. I'm going to do something here that actually opens this passage up for understanding in a profound way. Verse 4. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Isn't that amazing? You replace the word love with Jesus. And now you understand what love looks like. It looks like going to a cross. It looks like serving people by laying your life down. That's power. That's a power that will change a whole church community and a power that can only but change people who are friends with that church community. Jesus shows us how to love. If you are still checking out Jesus, you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not yet a believer in Jesus yet. I mean, our church exists for you in many ways. But think on this. Do you know that God knows everything about you? God knows everything about you. He knows your history, your search history, your thoughts. He knows everything about you. And yet he loves you. He loves you enough to come to a cross and die for you. And then you know what that does next? He then gets a church of people who all have turned and trusted in Jesus... And he gives them gifts so that many more of us can come and know Jesus too. It's a beautiful thing to see a church reforming by God's word in their talents for serving others. Jesus changes everything this way. It's an excellent way. And it means a few things for us as we finish. It means this for us as a church. For us as a church, two things mainly. We're in every member ministry here. And secondly, every member has a vital role of love. Firstly, every member ministry. What's noteworthy from 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 4 is the big picture is about every member being given gifts. And here's the interesting thing about that. Do you know what the gifts are ultimately? They're not skill sets. The gifts are not skill sets. Um, they're not things we just look at people and go, you need to fill a particular job around here. The gifts are people. People are gifts to the church. As in, you're a gift to me and because and the Bible says I'm a gift to you. He gave, the list is, he gave the people, he gives people as gifts to one another. Which means when we come together for gathered worship and we look at each other, we're not looking at each other as just doers to do some jobs over morning tea. We're actually looking at one another as gifts. And members are reforming. When you look at the ministry team roster online, we don't create a ministry team roster for us to go, ugh, and groan at. It's actually an opportunity to love. We could rename the roster the love roster. If you're from the 80s, we could even have a song. The love roster, helping you to serve one another in church. We're not online today, so I can do whatever I want. Do you see? 
We look at the roster and think, oh, I've got to do a job this Sunday. Oh, I've got to serve someone during the week. I've got to provide a meal for someone in need. I don't think we necessarily always do that, but I think that's our temptation, isn't it? It's my temptation. Rather look at the roster and go, wow, I get to serve someone on Sunday with love. Praise the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah. Point me in their direction. The team roster is about actually a picture of God's gifts. And people are God's gifts. The seniors of our church are God's gifts. It's too easy for us in our generation, every generation really. I read this the other day, Plato's generation. Plato was talking about, what's wrong with these kids these days? Like, oh, that, you know, probably, I imagine Aristotle said that too, Plato, and Socrates. And, you know. It's too easy for us to look at seniors though, us younger ones, and go, ah, oh, we're going to do it better. No, we need seniors in our church. Actually, it's a prayer point. We've got a prayer meeting this evening, 5 p.m., prayer service. Why don't we pray that we can reach more seniors with the gospel? Because we need their wisdom. The children of our church are gifts to us. It's easy to think, no, they're the noisy ones. They just make it hard to hear. Well, we're working on the kids' rooms. It's going to be done soon. But the children are a gift. Making little disciples is a joy. Serving them is a joy. You're a gift. Everyone serving has an opportunity to serve. We are designed by God to serve with love. Serving is a, way, is a way to actually enjoy and find happiness. And I happen to know this because someone messaged this recently, yesterday. I won't say who it is. Someone said, you know what? I love serving in this role at church. And it's not an upfront thing. You wouldn't know it's happening sometimes. They love serving in this role at church. It gives me a great amount of happiness. What they've discovered is that's the way God designed you. This is how we love. This is the most excellent way. What's this got to do with our annual congregational meeting next week and our plans and prayers? Could we pray God gives the growth and this happens among us more and more? Why don't we do that now? Let's do that now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that by grace we are saved through faith and by grace you give us one another. Today we are grateful for your gifts. We get to sing next to one another. We get to enjoy morning tea with one another. We get to, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, when one suffers, suffer with one another, weep with one another, lament with one another, call out to you in prayer with one another. Father, we pray that this would be our church more and more. A church in unity in Christ, that one baptism of the Spirit, a church with diversity of gifts for serving one another in maturity to grow more like Jesus with love. Father, we thank you for the excellent way of Jesus. Thank you that he went to the cross for us. He shows us what service looks like giving us salvation and giving us gifts along the way. We ask this for us. We pray for the ripple effect into our community, our region, that many more people would come to know Jesus too. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.